This episode is brought to you by Odyssey Mushroom Elixir. Odyssey contains 2,750 milligrams of lion's mane and cordyceps functional mushrooms that have been shown to increase brain function, mood, memory, and boost energy. With Odyssey Mushroom Elixir, there's no need to settle for a drink that's full of chemicals and empty calories. The flavors are delicious. There are caffeinated and uncaffeinated options, and I love to use it as a mocktail at parties, as an afternoon pick-me-up, and while I love all the flavors, my favorite is the sparkling dragon fruit lemonade. If you want to try Odyssey Mushroom Elixir, you can take 20% off your purchase today with code CWPODCAST, all one word, at odysseyelixir.com. And all of that information can be found in our show notes or on our link tree on Instagram. Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness and empower you to feel your absolute best. And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Courageous Wellness. We have a really fun Food positive conversation with Nicole Hagen that we will get to in a minute. But we, I am so excited because this episode comes out tomorrow is going to be Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is actually my favorite holiday because it really is the kickoff to me to this seasonal holiday Christmas season that I love so much as a Jewish Buddhist individual. I love Christmas. I've started playing Christmas music and my decorations will definitely be up. I love having Christmas decorations up for Thanksgiving because I feel like Thanksgiving is just like it's fun to have the twinkle lights up. But yes, I'm very excited and I can't wait to eat all the yummy foods. But bef- but but <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, as I'm like thinking about stuffing and pie and all of the things I'm like, but I'm also going to be doing some Black Friday shopping and we thought it would be fun to share some of our favorite sales that are going on right now. And one that I always shop because it's, I think their only big sale of the year is Sakara, which is a plant-based meal delivery service. It's organic, it's gluten-free, it's plant-forward, it's delicious. And right now they're offering 25% off and we have a code exocourageous that you can use to get that. But they also have a really incredible clean boutique. And I always stock up on my metabolism super powder that I love that's available year round, but their seasonal item that's available right now is their popcorn trio. And Mm -hmm. if you're a holiday popcorn lover, it is my favorite, favorite of the holiday popcorn tins. It comes with like a chocolatey, delicious one, a cheesy, and a buttery one. It's so good. Those are the in the trio. But of course, it's still plant forward. It's, um, you know, no dairy in the cheesy popcorn tin. And they really focus on um, the nourishing, you know, additions that they add to the popcorn to make it as gut friendly as possible. And it's my favorite. And so I gift it to myself 
during the Black Friday sale. And <laughs> I also buy it for other people in my life. But the Saqqara popcorn tin is is really, really good. And so that's what I will be shopping. And yeah, right now you can save 25% through Monday, November 27th um, on the meal deliveries in the clean boutique and on that popcorn, which is seasonal. So that's what I'm excited to shop um, this weekend. Yeah. So, yeah. You, yeah. You do do it every year. You're I a go-to popcorn girl. Um, <laughs> what else is going on? What are my updates? Oh, one of the other things I wanted to share because you just mentioned uh big sales for the holiday weekend. Um, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, where Erica and I are both certified through um, and have done advanced coursework in as well, they have recently combined with Chopra Global. Uh, you can hear Sarah Finger on our show. Um, she's the head of yoga at Chopra Global. But anyway, IIN and Chopra Global, which are now all a part of IIN, um, are doing a massive sale. You can do, I think it's 45% off on their uh, health coach training program and then 35% off on all their other courses as well. So you can use uh, my name. It's Alyssa, A-L-Y-S-S-A, French 20. Um, and you can get a discount through that. And that's just, those numbers are just through the 26th, I believe of November. And then it'll go back to 20% uh, for the rest of the time. So that's Alyssa French 20, or you can use the link in our show notes as well. Um, so get that, you know, get that Black Friday deal. If you're interested in advancing your own education in nutrition or becoming certified, they do yoga certifications, meditation certifications. It's really expanded quite a lot. And if you didn't know, Allie's full name is Alyssa. Now you, you know. can just learn that. I'm feeling, I'm feeling the holiday spiciness in case anyone <laughs> could, could hear. It's uh as we record this, it's also currently like pouring rain outside of my window. And I love we're in Southern California where we have no season. So it's really putting me into this like festive winter ball. mode. <laughs> little moment that we're having here. Are you a, are you a decorate after Thanksgiving or before Thanksgiving? No. After, 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 always after, always um, after, always after I leave like the gourds and the autumnal things up until after, and then I'll do a transition. And then you start, are you, um, what's your favorite Thanksgiving food? That's a hard question. Erica Stein. Um, <laughs> I'm okay. I think I'm, I think stuffing of some kind, especially if it has sausage in it. <laughs> I love yeah. like an apple leek sausage stuffing, or you know, I have to have my annual piece of pie of some kind. I like apple and pumpkin. And then what else? Oh, you know what? Actually, a traditional sort of like dish that I love: green bean casserole with like the crunchy onions on top. Oh, it's so good. My friend Leah makes a really good one. Shout out to Leah if you're listening. <laughs> She'll know it's her. Too. My my brother is the cook of the family and he makes a really good stuffing and a really good green bean casserole. And um stuffing is my favorite. I have there's just nothing like and I love actually even more than the Thanksgiving food is the next day the Thanksgiving sandwich. Yes. On like a good roll with or sourdough. Oh gosh, yes, with like I put stuffing on it and a little Isn't it funny sauce. stuffing on a roll is like bread on bread. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything better? Right. Truly. Um, we are. This is a really great food positive conversation to take you into the holiday. And so um, should we get into it, Allie? Yes, we could absolutely. probably ramble forever about Thanksgiving foods. <laughs> yes. So today we welcome online nutrition coach and podcast host Nicole Hagen. For years, Nicole was stuck in the diet culture roller coaster ride, trying to earn worthiness by following rigid food, food rules, counting calories, eating less, and exercising more, only to end up exhausted, unhappy, and the furthest from healthy she'd ever been. A wake up, a few wake up calls later, she has now committed her life to helping women live full and vibrant lives without food fear, rules, or restriction. She works to help individuals create eating habits in a healthy and sustainable way. 
We have a really wonderful and fun food positive conversation on nutrition, diet culture, and Nicole's journey. We also had the pleasure of joining Nicole on her podcast, Health, Wealth, and Wisdom, where we discuss body dysmorphia, medical discrimination, and our own wellness journeys. And you can find that episode from September 12th everywhere podcasts are available and a direct link in our show notes. So enjoy both episodes and we hope everyone has a happy and healthy holiday. Hi guys, before we get to today's episode, we want to share how excited we are to offer our community 20% off their first quarter at Sakara with code XO courageous. We have been big fans of the company for years, and the Sakara Life Organic Meal Delivery Program is based on a whole food, plant-rich diet that includes fresh, nutrient-dense, and delicious ingredients. It's perfect for those weeks you need a refresh or don't have time to meal prep. They also have a clean boutique, which offers delicious food forward bars, snacks, beauty water drops, and my personal favorite metabolism super powder, which works to fire up your metabolism, stabilize blood sugar, eliminate bloat and decrease puffiness. The naturally rich low sugar, dark chocolate flavor is perfect for smoothies or simply mixed with coffee and nut milk. I also regularly use the Sakar cookbook full of plant-rich recipes, which you can purchase on their website. Click the link in our show notes to visit sakara.com and use code XO courageous for 20% off your first order. We know you will love it as much as we do. Now onto the episode. Welcome, Nicole. We are very excited to have this conversation and to see you again. We loved being on your podcast and are very excited to dive a little deeper into your journey and story. So to get us started, can you share a little bit about who you are, your background and your wellness journey? I would be honored to. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for doing the swap with me. It's always fun when I feel like we get to know each other on one episode and then it's like friends meeting up again and oh, hey, yeah, let's continue our conversation. A little bit about me. I am a new mom. I have a one-year-old little boy at home that keeps me on my toes every second of every day. I also have two golden retriever puppies who are one and a half and two and a half. So three under three, my life is absolutely insane and beautifully full. I also own and am the head coach for a nutrition coaching company and have been doing that for over 10 years now. So I am learning how to wear all the hats not at the same time, because I've realized I can have it all, but I cannot have it all and do it all at the same time. I also am a mint chocolate chip ice cream fan. And uh, yeah, that will always be my flavor of choice. I absolutely love finding fun ways to be active that are not like conventional exercise. Hiking was something I absolutely loved to do with my husband. We did it every weekend for a year, sort of as like a little challenge for ourselves before we moved to Florida. And now Florida is unbearably hot, not to mention it's extremely flat. So we're having to find some substitutions now that we live down here. Well, thank you for giving us a little bit about who you are. I love that. Maybe we should incorporate ice cream flavors <laughs> into oh. all of our intros. And, and the puppy life. I mean, I have a one and a half year old King Charles Spaniel. And, um, it's a lot of work, so I can't imagine having a baby and <laughs> she's finally, I'd say at one and a half now it's much easier, but she has so much energy and, you know, it's like having a little baby. So I totally, you definitely have three under three. That's for sure. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. My husband and I look at each other fairly frequently and we're like, what did we do? Why did we think this was a good idea? Actually, a little bit more behind that is we loved having our first golden so much that we were like, okay, we have to have a second, right? It's like those memes where it's like, you got this beautiful puppy that's so well-behaved. It needs a friend. Then you have to get, you know, the friend, a friend. And my son is actually adopted. So we had no idea what that timeline was going to look like. So it was sort of like a, oh yeah, we got, you know, a new addition to the family, our second little golden retriever puppy. And then it was like, oh, and you're matched with uh, expecting birth parents. So it happened very quickly and we're so thankful that it happened the way that it did. But yes, life is so very busy. Yes. Yes. So sweet. Such a sweet story. Um, 
so just for our our audience, um, just you know, you've been you've said you've been doing nutrition coaching for over 10 years. You've been doing it from different locations, as you just mentioned, your new new residents of Florida. Um, but I'm curious, I know that you have a personal journey in your own relationship with food and nutrition. And I'm curious how, I guess, how your own journey led you to choose to pursue this professionally. Yes. I love that question because I didn't always see myself as a nutrition coach. I actually wanted to be a lot of things growing up, but kind of in my more formative years, I was going to be a psychologist. So to take you back a little bit, 11, 12 years ago, you could have found me endlessly counting and burning calories. Like it was my job because I wrongly believed that the size of my body and my worth were correlated. I was underfed, overtrained, had a terrible relationship with food. I refused to eat out. I logged everything I ate in my fitness pal, even things like chewing gum and vitamins. I snuck out of my house to exercise. It was really bad. And at the time, my behaviors had me on a really negative trajectory. It wasn't until I lost my period for three years and I actually started fracturing bones. I fractured my hip. I fractured my back that I was kind of forced to face the facts. I remember the doctor telling me I had 30 days on bed rest. And that was kind of when I had no distractions. I couldn't engage in any of my unhealthy eating behavior that I really was forced to face the fact that I needed desperately to change my relationship with food, or I was going to end up in a really dark and unhealthy place. I say that and it sounds like, oh, that happened really quickly or really easily. And it didn't. I want to just share that it took years, but I gradually moved away from the diet culture messaging and I stopped tracking and I stopped weighing in completely. And I started embracing what I refer to as the all foods fit mentality that I have today. And thanks to therapy and continuing education and a lot of internal work, I was able to change my eating and movement habits from ones that were harming my health to habits that actually supported the life that I wanted to live and promoted the health and the quality of life that I wanted. And so along that journey, I did get my first degree in psychology, but that's kind of over the season where I was really struggling and lost my menstrual cycle. I said, oh, I really want to help women figure this out. So after getting my degree in psychology, I went on to get my master's in nutrition science and public health so that I can do exactly that and help to teach other women to unsubscribe from diet culture, create healthy eating habits and and body composition change if they choose to, but from a place that is life-giving as opposed to soul-sucking. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I know we talked a little bit before recording and we're really excited to kind of unpack a lot of that and talk about diet culture and goals and kind of how to navigate this world. And I feel like for a while, the pendulum really swung one way and now it's kind of finding like a middle way because I I think, you know, we're very aligned in the sense of all foods fit, right? And we're very food positive because food is joy, right? And we can have education knowledge and understand blood sugar balance and how to support our hormones. But, you know, like we're also going to enjoy Franken food sometimes or whatever, you know, like a diet Coke at McDonald's or whatever it may be that is your thing. Um, all foods do fit, but you know, that pendulum swinging, I feel like for, for quite some time and, and for good reason, right. It was like loving your body and being body positive and dismantling diet culture also meant or still means for, for people that like, almost like radical body acceptance. And maybe you're going to help me unpack this because I'm talking it through as, as we're talking, but right. Like radical body acceptance, but how does that work with, if you do have body goals, right? Like if you've been in a season where you're carrying some extra weight and you, you might want to drop it or you're underweight and want to gain it, right? Like again, it's not just body goals can be different for everyone, but I think for a long time, it was like, all body goals are bad with some messaging online. And now it's kind of swinging to a middle way. But how I guess that's my question or what we can start dialoguing together. It's like, how do we get there? Because I feel like for so many women, um, 
body goals. And I think that's why for some people it's hard to wrap their heads around having body goals that don't have anything to do with diet culture because for so long, right? Body goals were external, right? For somebody else, for this, I'll be happy when I'm this size or this weight or for the media or the patriarchy, or we could talk about this forever. So I guess, how did you start unpacking this in yourself and then kind of coming to a place where it's like, but it's still okay to have body goals. Mm, that's a great question because I, I too feel that spectrum very significantly. And social media is kind of just like an echo chamber for those two juxtaposed, juxtaposed positions in terms of, okay, all body goals are great, right? And just pursuing any type of thinness ideal is kind of what we should all be working towards that very conventional diet culture messaging, which I grew up in the nineties. Like that was it, right? Everyone should want to live in a smaller body because, and then the opposite end of the spectrum being all body goals are bad. No one should want to change anything about their body composition. And so I consider kind of where I've landed called the messy middle, somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. And I I think a big part of arriving here was acknowledging the motivation behind my unhealthy relationship with food. So why was I so desperate to see a smaller number on the scale? Why did I believe that I would be worth more or be more desired, a better human being if I was a thinner, smaller human being? So just to kind of backpedal a little bit, we say the phrase diet culture all the time. And I think sometimes we fail to acknowledge what it really means. Diet culture essentially worships thinness and equates it to health and moral virtue, which means that you can spend your whole life thinking that you're broken just because you don't look like an impossibly thin ideal that is constantly changing by the way, right? So how we feel as though we want to look today based on that ideal is completely different compared to decades ago. And so as a result, diet culture promotes weight loss as a means of attaining a higher status, which means that you feel compelled to spend a massive amount of time, energy, and money doing anything and everything possible to shrink your body. So weight loss at all costs, which is that one very extreme end of the spectrum, an idea that there's a good food and a bad food and a a right choice and a wrong way to live in a body and the discrimination against anyone who doesn't fit in that narrow ideal. And so it took me a long time to realize that that's actually what I was subscribing to, but it had happened so sneakily over time, simply because of all of this diet culture messaging that we get through media and through the relationships of family members that have then been passed down to us. So at the time, I didn't realize that's what I was worshiping, but I had to sit and ask myself, this behavior is not helping me to feel better. I felt terrible, lightheaded, dizzy spells all the time. My hair was falling out. My health was literally failing and it wasn't helping me to show up in my life better. I can't even remember memories or experiences from that time in my life because all of my time and energy was consumed with thoughts of food. What was someone going to think of what I was eating? What would I be able to say to kind of pass off not eating at this family function? So it wasn't really helping to make my life better outside of how I looked. And if I wasn't feeling and showing up in my life any differently, why was this thing so important to me? Simply because it changed the external appearance. But at the same time, I couldn't really get behind the fact that not having a body composition goal of any kind was the solution to that because I have worked for our local health system and I have seen benefit of people losing excess body fat and adopting healthier habits when they go about it with the right kind of motivation and in a healthy way. Not to mention, I also stand for body autonomy. So if someone feels as though it is going to benefit their life in some way, shape or form, to maybe shape their eating habits differently. And that might lead to sustainable fat loss, or it might lead to body recomposition. I can't see that being a bad thing. So that's kind of how I arrived at this middle space. And I think the biggest dictator of where you fall on that spectrum is why do you want the weight loss? So whenever a client comes to me and says, okay, Nicole, here's my goal. And part of that big, powerful goal involves a weight loss goal. 
I will always say, okay, tell me why, tell me more. Like, how is that going to change your life? How is that going to add quality to your life? How do you feel like that's going to help you to show up as the person that you want to be as your healthiest self? And sometimes we do some digging and we keep asking why, and it finds its way into diet culture world, diet culture thinking, right? Because, well, then I will be loved more, or I would be able to ride in an airplane without asking for a seatbelt extender or things that don't necessarily have to do with their want, their true innate desire to have a body goal or to change things about their relationship with food or how they're showing up in the world, but because they feel like they should, or because a doctor told them that they have to. And so then we unpack that work together. But also if someone is saying, I have this motivation that feels really aligned for me. And I want to go about it in a healthy way. That's not detracting from my life whatsoever. In fact, it may add quality. It may add joy. It may add confidence to my life. Okay. Then we can talk about how to do that in a health promoting way. But I think the why, why you want it is something that everybody kind of has to assess for themselves. We want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about BTR Nation. BTR is a female-founded food brand that is on a mission to end mindless snacking with their protein bars with a purpose. BTR bars and chocolate truffle cups are plant-based and made with no gluten, no dairy, no soy, no added sugar, no corn or rice syrups, no GMOs, no natural flavors, no sugar alcohols, no stevia, no inflammatory ingredients, and no gums or fillers. It's the cleanest label in the category. They only use ingredients that you can pronounce and adaptogenic superfoods like reishi, lion's mane, and cordyceps. Allie and I love BTR bars and always have them in our cabinets. I am currently loving the cinnamon cookie dough energy bars and the cherry dark chocolate truffle cups are my favorite sweet treat. Founder and owner Ashley Marie found inspiration for her brand in an unlikely place at an unlikely time, at the hospital cafeteria. When both of her parents were diagnosed with cancer, her life turned upside down as she became their caretaker and her own nutrition began to suffer. Ashley was devouring protein bars when she could, as many of us do, to fit in a meal or a snack. Most of the bars she quickly discovered were filled with sugar. After her parents passed away, she founded her bar brand based on their family mantra, be bold, tenacious, and resilient, BTR. If you want to try BTR bars and truffle cups, you can save 20% on your order with code COURAGEOUSWELLNESS at btrnation.com. You can also find this link in our show notes and link tree on Instagram. Thank you for speaking to that so kind of directly. And I think something that you brought up, um, and we actually talked about this a little bit. This is a long time ago, this episode now, but it's it's really stayed with me. We had authors, um, Hillary and Dana from the Center for Body Trust, and they um, wrote this book about called Body Trust. And it's, it's actually a part of the Healthy at Every Size movement. Um, and, but we did get into kind of a deep conversation. And And I remember, I think it was Dana talking about sovereignty, like, and you talked about body autonomy and that ultimately, like, if we're going to develop trust in our own bodies and respect for our own bodies, no matter what the others are saying, like the external is saying it should, should look like X, Y, Z, whatever, but truly just getting in touch with ourselves that we then respect that we all have sovereignty over our bodies and can make choices. But doing that deeper dive, because sometimes I think you're right, it's so unconscious. It's so below the surface. We don't even know how the diet culture messaging of decades has infiltrated the way we even feel about ourselves or the way we think we should feel about ourselves. So um, that process of dismantling that through conversation, through curiosity, without judgment is, I think, a really, um, I don't know, maybe it's a really important part of the process. So it's, it's wonderful to see coaches like you who can help people in whatever way that they come to you truly understand first their own why so that they can feel 
um, that they're making choices for themselves that actually serve them versus ones that they've sort of been programmed to receive, like through these subliminal messages of media and culture for decades and and family and whatever generational pass down. There's so many comes from so many directions too. Exactly. I think one of the most fascinating things is I would say most women enter like my world with some type of body goal. But the coolest thing for me to see is when they are doing their exit interview after we've worked together for six, nine, 12 months, however long their journey lasts, body goals are the least frequent thing celebrated Mm -hmm. in their exit interview because it's not the most important. And sometimes they've made the progress that they wanted to make. Sometimes they didn't because they realized that progress had like a diet culture driven motivation behind it. But the thing that stands out to them the most is now how they show up in their lives because of how nourished they are or how much brain space they have now that they're not constantly stressing or feeling anxious, guilty, ashamed, fearful around food. So that's kind of the beautiful part for me is sometimes, you know, we come in with, I want to change this thing about my body. And while that's okay for someone to decide that going back to your point, Erica, we always make sure that acceptance comes first. And I don't believe that they have to be like two sides of a coin. I think both can happen at the same time. So I can accept my body as it is now and recognize that there's nothing wrong or broken with this current body while also thinking, yeah, I might want to change certain things about this body as I learn more information, as I practice these skills in a new way. And that's also okay. I'm not saying that this body simply because it's larger is bad. So having that acceptance kind of fostered over time, then makes those body goals feel less impressive because now I have this body that was always good and it may look different. It may weigh a slightly different amount. That doesn't even matter at the end of the day. Yeah. I think something that in that same conversation about body trust that also really stuck with me, which is so simple, but I can't believe isn't something I like consciously ingested before the conversation is that like bodies are also meant to change, right? Like bodies aren't supposed to be one size for your entire life. And I know that sounds crazy, but I feel like so much of the messaging, right. as like nineties and early two thousands kids, um, that we did receive was that there there's this one ideal, right. And if we look at, um, I think something that, is wonderful that's being spotlighted now is kind of the infuriation that are like, it's so infuriating. Um, the way we talk about women's bodies as trends, right. And you can see, um, love them or hate them, but with the Kardashians, right. And how their bodies are really used to, um, depict the, the trends for female bodies. And, um, Fortunately, a lot of what I'm seeing on the internet is people being so angry. It's like our bodies are not trends, but I definitely think growing up, it's like these people in the media, these women who were glamorized as the ideal, their bodies did always stay the same, right? So it's it was so revolutionary just to hear, right? Bodies are meant to change. Or they didn't. And then they were totally terrorized in the media yes, too. Yes. You know, yes. and totally like just it, looking back, I've seen some cuts together of like videos in in the early 2000s of people just like the media just being horribly cruel and it's sh- it's shocking like it's actually now shocking like looking at with the lens of from 2023 um so i understand with time perspective that sort of like infuriation <laughs> yeah. that came up well, because that was the messaging we were all receiving and now yeah. it's like we, you know, we have podcasts and practices in order to help people dismantle it. Yeah. But, but what I was going to say too, and, and I'd love to know your opinion on this as well, because I think social media is so polarizing, right. And tick to whatever it is. It's like, because, and I think this is also really important to dismantle for ourselves, for our audience, for consumers is the reason social media is so polarizing is because it's much easier to sell and make money off of either both extremes, full weight loss, full be fit for whatever season it it is, you know, Um, or to sell radical, right? Like it's not easy to sell a middle way of you can be healthy at every size and we can work together if you have body goals. That's a lot harder to market. And I think that's why we don't see it 
as often too online. Yes, there's the altruistic too. Like I know there's a lot of incredible creators who are in much larger bodies and are in larger bodies. And these creators um, have been so attacked and demonized and brutalized that there there can't be a middle way, you know, it, it, and that is very helpful and important as well. But I think for a lot of people, the middle way is harder to sell. And that's why it's not loud online too. Without a doubt. I've had a former business coach who gave me the advice to not talk about habits and mindset and creating a relationship with food because it wasn't polarizing enough to yield the like income threshold that you could yield if you chose a particular end of that spectrum and just like preached that message over and over again. That didn't feel in alignment with me. So I'm glad that I didn't go down that path, but there's something about, you know, the squeaky wheel, whether someone disagrees with it and is outrightly saying like, this is wrong. They're still garnering attention for those types of accounts or someone who like backs it 100%. It's really hard to be nuanced in a space that loves extremes. Mm, That's a, yeah, that's a good point. I'm curious, um, you know, this is something that's come up with people that I've coached and even with French friends in conversation about this. Um, when you realize, when you start to dismantle some of this programming that we all have and realize how much time you've spent, um, of your life thinking about it, as you shared so openly about your, you know, the difficult years, of counting, tracking, obsessing, you know, sneaking, all that stuff around it. Um, there's a lot of grief that can come up because, uh, you know, we're, I was talking with someone, we're like, both smart people have a lot to contribute to this world. And to think about the amount of like brain power that we spent or, you know, that people spend on, this, the energy, time, attention. And when you realize that it can be very like sad, it can feel like, oh, I'm grieving the time and energy that I could have spent in a different way. And you can't regret too much because it's, um, it's over, you know, it's like you have to move forward because all we have is this moment forward. But was there anything in your journey where you had to sort of come to terms with yourself about that loss of time or energy or attention? And if so, or if anybody comes to you now, how do you help them process that um, and move forward with confidence and not guilt around it? Hmm. That's such a powerful question. And it speaks to me because I tend to identify as like type A overachiever. So thinking about the years that almost feels like a waste in terms of how I spent it engaging in those unhealthy and very disordered eating behaviors. It is so saddening and like angering that I could have been making progress or I could have been, you know, stepping into ultimately who I wanted to be, but sooner. I think the thing that really helped me to kind of come to a peaceful place, looking back at my history is something that psychology research taught me. And that's every behavior is a solution to a problem. So while I can look back now at my obsessive tracking and my over-exercising and see that as being a really negative behavior cycle to be stuck in, at the time, it was helping me survive, which sounds very big. But to take you a little deeper into my personal story, at the time that I started struggling with disordered eating, my brother was navigating substance use. And it was just the two of us. And I didn't know how to handle that. I didn't have solutions for him. I didn't know enough about addiction and substance use. So I felt as though there was this loss of control in my life. And at the time, calorie counting, getting 999 calories a day for whatever arbitrary reason felt very much like control that I could grab onto and making sure that I ran X miles every day and I burned X calories on the the treadmill gave me a false sense of control. So I can't look back and say, I wish I just hadn't done that because I don't know what else I would have done as the solution to that problem. There were better solutions, you know, that I could have found, but at the time I didn't have those tools. I didn't have those skills. I didn't have that knowledge or information. So I have to look back and say, I did the best 
with what I knew and what I had. And that helped me get through that season of life. And I think that that's the same for everyone. We may engage in a behavior and we're like, but I don't want to be doing this. And that's so frustrating. Why did I waste so much time doing this? And the answer is, well, it helped me feel better about something. Like it was a solution to a problem that I had at the time. And while it may not be an, a helpful or appropriate solution for the person I am today, it was for the version of myself I was then. Yeah. And like you said, I think that's a beautiful way to tell you, like phrase it. And and I'm sure many people can relate to that. I can't even with my emotional eating, it, it helped you survive, right? It helped you get through a time. And, and um, yeah, I think that reframe in the way we think about our choices or even an unhealthy period in our lives, or if we're going through something right now, um, I think it's a really beautiful reframe. And you know, I've, I've loved this conversation and I love having conversations and dialogues about this because it, I think it's really important. And I, I love these kinds of conversations. Um, but I'm sure too, for our listeners and when this episode is going to be released, I mean, I feel like all year round, there's so much messaging around food, but you know, um, with the holidays and with the new year, it's like the messaging is probably the loudest because again, of that it's, it's a time for people to make money. So, let's like crank up the volume on the noise and the messaging around women's bodies. So I love to also give our listeners some tips and tools that they can take away from every episode. And so for anyone who might be hearing a lot of loud messaging, be it from the media or from a family member, or even just from themselves, what are some tips that you use to work with your clients and with yourself that can really help people kind of start unpacking this stuff and working on their relationship with food and their bodies? Mm. I think if I could leave your listeners with a few thoughts on how they could move forward by unsubscribing to diet culture, especially with the holiday season upon us, I would say these three things. First and foremost is to reject shame as a motivator. So diet culture, like we talked about earlier, loves using hate and shame to motivate us to take action. So hating the body that we live in now as being a motivator to wanting to create a smaller body or a lighter body. But research actually shows us that trying to motivate positive behavior change with a negative feeling like hate or shame is largely ineffective. So try talking to yourself less like a bully because that's not going to work and more kindly like you would a friend. So rejecting shame as a motivator, I think is huge, especially as we come up on like new year's resolutions after the holidays, everyone's like, oh, it's fine. I can do whatever I want now because I'm just going to like punish myself with strict or aggressive nutrition action steps. And maybe coming at that from a slightly different lens, like looking at how ultimately do I want to show up in my life and how do I want to feel in my body? And what are the steps that I could take in order to get from where I am today to where I want to be? Not punishing, but just building on who I am and adding healthy habits or maybe more like positive focuses in my life. The second that I think is very, very relevant for holiday time, although it's relevant always, is to challenge food morality by constantly asking the question, do I know this to be true? So for example, when I have a thought like after eating my aunt's famous Christmas cookie recipe or having seven of them. And my brain tells me, oh my gosh, this is so bad. I'm so bad for eating this. I'm going to have to take two spin glasses tomorrow to burn this, you know, whatever story your brain likes to tell you. Pausing to ask, do I know this to be true? Do I know that this cookie is bad for me? And your brain, like my brain is going to want to say, yeah, because it has tons of sugar in it. And I know it's not healthy for me. There's nothing of nutritional value in here. So then I want you to get like really brutally honest with yourself and ask, do I really know this to be true? Because maybe it doesn't have the highest amount of nutrients in it, but is it bad for me if it brings me joy and pleasure, or if it helps me connect with my community in this holiday celebration moment? Is bad maybe just a label that I've placed on this kind of food and it doesn't deserve to be on this kind of food? There's actually some pretty cool research that shows not only does what we eat impact how much we eat, but how we think about what we eat impacts how much we eat. So they had two cohorts of people who ate the exact same thing, but they gave one cohort 
uh, in this research study, like a reason for eating that thing. It's somebody's birthday. You're celebrating. This is fun. They want you to enjoy this delicious treat with them. The second cohort of people just ate the thing because they wanted to eat the thing and it was delicious. And the research study showed that that second cohort of people went on to eat more because they felt ashamed of having had this treat-based food for no reason other than that it was delicious and it was in front of them. Whereas the first cohort of people was like, oh yeah, this was fun, moving on. And it wasn't an issue for them. So the second tactic that I would share is challenging food morality at every turn and making sure to pull that question out of your back pocket. Do I know this to be true? Or could this be an old story, an old script that was benefiting diet culture and not me? And then last but not least is protecting your peace. And this can mean a lot of different things, but what I am referencing is our environment. As humans, we are really heavily influenced by our environment. And that includes the voices and faces that we follow on social media. It also includes where we are geographically and the people that we spend our time with. And so like you mentioned earlier about social media, if I'm constantly bombarded with messages like you have to do this much, much exercise to burn off that slice of pumpkin pie, or you have to, you know, do this many burpees to justify, you know, whatever hodgepodge of Christmas cookies you're eating that's what I'm going to internalize. And then that makes it so much more challenging for me to have that body acceptance and that healthy relationship with food. So we've heard it all before, but the only kind of detox I support is a social media detox. We're getting rid of people that make you feel, you know, shitty about eating foods that you love for no other reason than that they're super tasty and bring you joy and making sure to cultivate your feed with those voices, with people who are existing in bodies that look like yours and bodies that don't look like yours, but are a adopting healthy habits and are fostering a healthy relationship with food, not just physically in actuality of like what they're eating, but how they talk about food and how they think about food and how they feel around food. So that was a lot, but those are the three things that I think if I were asked, how can I start unsubscribing from diet culture? I would start with one of those three. No, that's, that's great and super tangible tips. And I love the, um, I love the only detox I support is a social media detox. <laughs> Maybe we should all think about those a little bit more frequently, actually. Um, but great, great tips. Thank you so much. Um, and I can't believe we've been going so long. Uh, you have, you've been such a great resource for our audience today, and we really appreciate that. And we always ask three questions at the end of every episode. And I'm actually quite curious. So I'm going to start with the first one. Um, you are a new mom and you also have, as you said, fur babies, you have your business, you're, you have a lot going on in your life at this season of your life. Um, so what does your current daily self-care look like? And do you have any non-negotiables for yourself? I love this question. So I am an introvert that extroverts all day and I love it. But one of my non-negotiables that also doubles as my self-care practice is at the end of the evening when baby's in bed and the puppies are tired and they're chilled, I lay in bed with a good book. So no screens, TV's not my thing, but my husband loves unwinding with a show. So we sort of go our separate ways and I get to recharge with alone time. And that was something that we didn't start doing at the beginning of our relationship, you know, because you want to be together all the time. But now it's like, okay, we're better together when we have this time apart. And I just need to unwind and like not be staring at a screen that lights up and get lost in the story for a little bit. So that kind of doubles for me. And it's a time of day that I really look forward to. I love that. Do you know um, your human design or your astrology? This isn't our question, but your answer just made me think of human design and astrology. I don't know a ton of, I know I'm a cancer and I'm an Enneagram one, if that helps anything. Yeah, no, the cancer makes a lot of sense. I just, I wonder in your human design, I'm a two five, um, but the two likes to be alone and needs that. And I'm a projector, but I need like similarly, like being alone and having alone time and read. It's very important to me. So look up your human design. I wonder what you'll be, but I I'm wouldn't be surprised if you have a two in there. Um, cause I definitely relate. I don't know as much about human design. I'm more of the astrology girl, but it, it interests me. And so I find it, I find it really interesting. Anyway, <laughs> um, the second official question we always ask is what does being courageous mean to you? Mm. Being courageous to me means 
showing up even when I don't know that I can. So doing the thing anyway, because I know it's going to benefit me and I know that it's going to feel good, maybe not in this exact moment because I'm anxious about doing it or I'm stressed about doing it, but I do the thing anyway, because I know that it's in alignment with who I want to be ultimately. Thank you. Um, And then the last one is, do you have a book recommendation since you are a reader? Um, It can be on anything, anything we've touched on today, or it could be a novel that you've enjoyed. Um, Just something that, you know, that's really spoke to you, that's meant something to you and that you'd want to share with our audience. Mm, This is one probably, well, maybe not, but I would imagine some of your listeners have read this already, but Untamed by Glennon Doyle is a personal favorite. I feel like that's just one that's like, it's my beach book. If I need to drop a book in a bag, it's going to be that. It's it's really good. I remember reading that when it came out and I was very moved by it. Um, so if anybody wants to find you, follow you, work with you, where can they do that? I hang out primarily on Instagram and you will see everyone that I mentioned. Sometimes Cole, my son makes a debut. The dogs are always around because they're little Velcro buddies and don't give me a second of alone time if they can help it. I can be found at Nutrition with Nicole. Great. Thank you again, Nicole, for everything today. Absolutely. And I just looked this up before we pressed record, but I wanted to make sure if your listeners missed it, they can also tune in to the podcast. I have a podcast called the Health Wealth, W-E-L-L-T-H and Wisdom Podcast. And you both were on it in episode 238. And we talked about dealing with medical discrimination and body dysmorphia. So that's one that would be great to tune into if they missed it. Yes. Go check out her podcast and we will link our episode to it in the show notes too. Thank you. Thank you both so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.